Welcome to Automation Advocates, a show where we will talk about automation, manufacturing, and meet some of the personalities that are involved in the industry and get their perspectives. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy creating. Thanks, and here's the show. So back live again here across the table from me, Justin Danielski, for a second time. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. So we'll pick up a little bit from where we talked about the last time we were together and just picking a little bit on, I guess, dispelling manufacturing in general, right? Because when you think about uh, just career paths and, and direction, you know, you had mentioned a lot about, hey, engineering, 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 mm-hmm. but it was always from a design standpoint or a marketing standpoint around that front end. And I think both of us kind of, I don't know if you call it by chance or luck, but fell into more of the the production side of things, that manufacturing angle of it versus, you know, how do I design a new fender or steering wheel or something to that effect, right? So um, we'll kind of jump into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, And I guess we can kind of, I guess maybe we start back into the education piece a little bit from where we talked last time, right? So um, both of us at one point finished an associate's degree. Correct. Um, so mine happened to be in robotics and automation, and yours was in mechanical design. Perfect. Yep. Um, after that, at one point, I, I com- completed maybe half of a computer science degree and got tired of writing the Hello World program in six different languages. So <laughs> I kind of ripcorded out of that because I was doing it for a job already. But uh, right. I guess explain a little bit about what your path was and uh, elaborate deeper on you know where and how that that switch flipped and. and where you went yeah so i'll i'll uh just say that i got a bachelor's degree in manufacturing engineering um that's kind of where it ended for me but sure. um so that's the end game just just so the listeners know that but uh but i'll start kind of at the beginning so to speak and and i'll define beginning by when i really started to think about my career and what's it gonna be and you know what's that gonna look like and and for me that was you know kind of later years in high school and um I was just like most students, and and I met with my guidance counselor and and started talking about, you know, hey, what's my career going to look like? You know, um, what are the options out there, right? And um, I don't know if frustrated is the word that maybe fits, but um, confused maybe is better because everything that I heard or was spoken to is about, well, if you ever want to be somebody, you got to get a a bachelor's degree or, or at that time they didn't even use that word it was four-year sure right so yep. you know i could have taken four years to get a one-year you know diploma on it would have been the four years that they talk about you know it's all they want right. to talk about four-year four-year um and and again just confused by that direction because i'm like what does that even mean you know you're talking about the the degree but we're not talking about what what is the job? What, what's that look like? Right? right. Like, you know, even on the radar screen, four years is nothing compared to what the duration of your career is. So let's talk about the 40 years, you know? Right. right. Um, so from that standpoint, I just felt like that was always wrong and kind of misguided. And then um, I brought this up last time we spoke, but my parents didn't go to college. So I didn't have any knowledge about that. And there was almost this like, um, I don't know, superficial excitement about, oh, the first child's going to go to a four-year school, you know? Sure. And, and, uh, you know, engineering was something I knew I wanted, so, um, or thought I wanted. 
And so finding a school uh, where I could get a mechanical engineering degree was kind of the goal, right? Um, but again, just didn't have a lot of knowledge, not a lot leading up to it. And um, my learning style didn't fit with that. We didn't know that. Um, the guidance counselors, um, I think it, you know, and I don't, I won't get political with it or anything. I don't know what their initiatives are. I don't know what their goals are. Um, because I felt like there was a gap, a huge gap between what was in my head and what was coming out of their mouth. Um, and why that is, man, that's, that could be a whole other podcast, right? You well, know? I think so. And, and I, I had a similar experience. So I remember, again, I, I did a internship my senior year of high school, which meant I went to school for two hours or two, half the day, right? So we had a, a four, four class day thing. They were extended periods. Um, and so I was in class half the day, and then I went and worked on robot work cells the other half of the day. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I wanted to sign up to do that program, um, traditionally Vika had been for you know plumbers and carpenters and auto mechanics and all these other things. Um, and they're like, yeah, but you're a really sharp student. Are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, totally sure. I, don't, I definitely don't want to sit in a classroom. And then they, but you probably should take more foreign language and... Like there was, it felt at the time, and, and again, I, I don't know, uh, but it felt like there was an agenda, right? Right. Um, and it didn't align with what I needed or would have been able to accomplish as a student, for sure. Like right. Zero chance of success. Um, so I, similar in that regard, right? And I, it, it is a disconnect, and it, it struck me as odd as well. Right. right, And at one point, as I neared my senior year of high school, my guidance counselor actually came out and saw what we were doing. I don't know if it clicked or not at that point, um, but I, I, I look back on it and go, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think I could have done it the other way. Right. Well, and I, you know, of course, you know, this is a long time. This is way over 20 years ago now. But, sure. but I remember, like, it was yesterday using that word, manufacturing meeting with my guidance counselor and being like, you know, there's a lot of really good manufacturing jobs around here because I've got family members that, you know, worked in the paper industry. They worked in the wood industry. And, sure. you know, and I mean, I got to see them live good lives, you know, yep. in my perspective, not just when I was a kid, but now, you know. And, and so um, I just remember, like, the weirdest glare, like, what? <laughs> Your goal shouldn't be to, to be in manufacturing. And it was it was just a strange, strange interaction, you know? For and, sure, for and, sure. And, um, yeah, so that just struck struck me as super odd. Yeah. Super odd. Discouraged. Without a doubt, yeah. Yeah, and, and talking about odd, right? I mean, Wisconsin is home to, you highlighted, right, Kimberly Clark, um, who were the, you know, there was a bunch of other paper companies in the... In the oh, yeah, consolidated. All up and down yeah. the Wisconsin River, yeah, right? All over, yep. Um, as you get closer to you know, Green Bay, Appleton, the Fox Valley, right? Mercury Marine, which is a big machining menu, you know, boat motors. Yep. Uh, Oshkosh Truck and Bus. Right. Uh, Pierce. Pierce, yep. Man, they make some beautiful fire trucks too, by the way. Oh, absolutely. All oh. sorts of cool stuff over there. Yeah, right? So, I mean, you, you look around and you're like, man, I don't have to go anywhere. I can get my hands on to stuff and I can do something and it'll be rewarding, right? Right, absolutely. Um, but none of that was ever really talked about. I don't remember having any conversations with people at my school aside from 
my internship coordinator, Bill Voigt, thank you, by the way, for all of that, that kind of connected those dots. Never came up. Right. Yeah, you know, I, you know, there was some talk about it in some of the tech ed classes, you know, about, hey, you know, here's, uh, here's so-and-so going to stop in today and kind of give a little overview of what they do, right? Maybe it's a machine shop or, or whatever, a welding shop, um, which was just invaluable, you know, to say, oh, there's, a, there's an end game here. And maybe five or ten years ago, that the guy giving that speech, he was in this class, you know, so, so it actually can happen. He, he's a real-world example, right? Um, so I think those were some of the most influential things that I experienced in that whole high school time period. But yeah, you know, I, I just, you know, even today that, that whole stigma on manufacturing for whatever reason, um, from a legacy standpoint, is not a good one. Sure. And, um, and, you know, we'll get into some, some more discussion here about how, you know, it's, there's some pretty awesome things happening. Yeah. You know? Without so, a doubt. Right. It's, uh, and just over lunch before this, you know, we were talking a lot about digitization and software and the evolution. Right. And I think, when we look backwards at manufacturing historically, we've all seen the photographs of the old steel mills, right? Think of old Pittsburgh and, and some of those, you know, Rust Belt cities where super dirty, right? Furnaces and probably a little dangerous, right? Like there's right. raw materials being poured and, you know, this is before... I don't want to say before we knew anything about safety, but way before a lot of these standards came out that, you know, talked about machine guarding and some of these other things. Mm -hmm. And 70 years ago, maybe it wasn't an awesome option, right? Right, right. Um, totally real. Fumes would be another one, right? I think about, right. you know, you had highlighted on the last time we talked about your dad being a, an auto mechanic, an auto body repair person, you know, things like paint booths. We didn't think about that, right? You just right. put a box van on the window and called it a day. Yep, absolutely. Um, such, such a neat evolution with what we know now versus then, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, it, it's it's come a long way, but I don't know from a from an educational standpoint if the schools have treated it or thought about it in the same manner. Right. Um, I, I, have you been to any of your kids' schools to talk at all about what you do? I have not, no. Um, now, through a couple of really neat organizations in that greater Wausau area, I've gotten back into the tech college sure. and gotten to speak there. Um, but but me personally, not at the high school level. Um, but that would be really awesome to do it. If anyone's listening from the greater area, I'm more than willing to talk about it and um, kind of be um, be someone that can, you know, bounce some questions off me, different different ideas that you have, or, or what do students really want to know? You know, what does the plant manager do? You know, right. pretty basic question, right? But but I could talk about that for quite a while. Um, so, yeah. And I think even, you know, from the, from the plant manager all the way down to like a, a manufacturing technician or a setup tech, right? Things mm -hmm. that I don't know if they even really existed 30 years ago. And you know, I, we'll have my dad talk about some of this at one point because he kind of went through that evolution as we grew up with robots in the 90s and, and late 80s. Um, but it's it's come a long way. And, you know, I think it, it makes me wonder, and, and this was true when I was in school as well, but it felt like the school lagged behind the industry. And it always will to some degree unless you're at a 
a research school, right? That's on the, you, know, you think of the, the, the MITs of the world or the, you know, Syracuse right. or whoever, where they're doing the, they're doing the, the, the hard, hard new, you know, I was in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago and I saw a taxi with no driver. Blew my mind. That's so awesome. Right? Like, but, but who would have thought? 30 right. years ago, I'd have went, never. Right. And now I'm looking at it going, eh, maybe. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, Stanford was the one I was thinking of. Oh, right there. yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah, for but, sure. Uh, but I wonder if the rest of the, the school system, the rest of, you know, whether it be high school or college, have caught up with what, I guess, what our normal is or what, what we see as normal in the manufacturing industry or is it still this weird stigma? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're talking about real world stuff there where it's the colleges, it's, you know, prestigious schools. Right. But we really need that to exist at a much lower level in that whole school system, you know, not, and not even high school because a lot of decisions get made prior to that. Right. So, For sure. so grade school, middle school. Um, is a great time to, to really be talking about manufacturing and what are the jobs and what are the opportunities, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, just to, I think there's a gap there, and, and there's there's folks like you and I sitting here this afternoon, you know, talking about it that are more than willing to have these conversations with students and, and, uh, and help do that education. We're not going to charge, right? No. I mean, we're... we're you know, we're at a point in our careers where, hey, we, we would just enjoy that. Yeah. Just enjoy sharing some stories with some seventh graders, eighth graders. You know, let's talk about what we do and, you know, maybe what classes you might want to take in high school if you want to do this stuff, right. right? You know, so there doesn't always have to be a monetary motivation to give back. No, know? and in <laughs> fact, I'll even bring snacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? We'll yeah, bring some cookies absolutely. or whatever else we're allowed. I don't even know what's allowed to be brought to yeah. school anymore. Right. But if it could be. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, that, that whole stigma about manufacturing, you kind of went there a little bit, but I think if you use the word welding, there was always this association with dirt or dirtiness, right? Like sure. It's a dirty job. Um, and there's reasons for this, you know, but... The facility that um, that I get to manage, um, I, I don't do this, but talking about snacks, if I drop the cookie in the floor, I won't think twice about eating that. I'm, I'm not going to do that on purpose, but if it happened, it's that clean. I mean, right. we're sweeping the floor multiple times a day. Um, there's a state-of-the-art HVAC system that's, you know, there's two smoke eaters or smoke hogs, whatever word you want to use, in every single welding bay. Um it literally is that clean. It's neat. And um, we had a new employee recently um, mention that, you know, it's unbelievable how clean it is in the plant, you know. And, and the question was brought up to me, why do we spend so much time on that? You know, why, that costs money, right? And uh, I didn't even get a chance to answer this because the mentor in this welding bay comes over and says, when you were a kid, did your parents ever tell you to clean your bedroom? And uh, employee goes, yeah, all the time. Did you? Well, sometimes. He's like, a clean bedroom is a place you wanted to be. A clean welding bay is also a place that you want to be. So there's like this mentality all throughout our facility. You know, it's neat, it's clean, it's organized. Um, everyone wants to work in that environment. So it's our responsibility to make it that. Sure. You know? And just, of course, our customers love that. They want to see that, that professionalism, right? And not 
all weld shops are clean, right? I mean, right. I, I've been to plenty. So I, right out of school, you know, I did welding robots. That's what we did for a living. And, uh, you know, some of them you'd see the sludge build up. And, and you saw that, I guess, lack of intent or lack of care. And I don't want to say you could feel it, but you could feel it in the atmosphere, right? Like, no one really wanted to be there. It wasn't a great upbeat environment but some of these cleaner places it is it's a treat right i mean it's right. it's awesome and i think from a from an attraction and retention standpoint it's big but also you said your customers enjoy it and i think i think about the quality aspect of it right and it's mm-hmm. the the finding your tools right we, we talked a lot about that making sure everything has its place and you know what is it the, the six sigma I'm not an industrial engineer, so I don't know. But, <laughs> like, there's processes to this, and it, right. it yields better product quality. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 5S is one that's there really commonly go. talked about, right? Um, yeah, but no, absolutely. You know, and, and, and that's a little bit more of the engineering side, kind of the science side, the techie side, you know, which, which, of course, we can get into, too. But there's also just that, just kind of that gut feel, kind of what you said, where if you walk into a building – and uh, maybe it's the, through the customer's eyes or through its through a new employee that's on a job interview, you can feel right the right culture or the right attitude. You can feel that it's a good place to be. If it's very well lit, it's neat, it's clean. Um, folks are saying hi to you when they pass you in the hallway. You know, it's all all these little things that really add up to being like. Hey, this is somewhere that I'd, I'd want, I want to be part of this, right? You know, I, I could see myself here. Uh, it's common that it comes up in job interviews um, where folks will say, well, I want a place I can retire. Sure. That's a phrase that gets thrown out there, right? And I'm always asking, what, what do you mean by that? You know, can you define that? It's different for everyone. Sure. Um, but usually at the end of a tour of a really nice, well-lit company, um, a place that really cares, that's manufacturing's, you know, something you want to do, somewhere you want to be. Um, they say, yeah, I, I can feel it here. This is a place I can see myself. You yep. know, those are some really rewarding comments. You know you're doing things the right way in the building. It, and that's true of a lot of manufacturing. Facilities. And I've even ran into that at machine builders before, right, where they've been in business, and this was common in, you know, machine tending and, and welding where, you know, the, the quality of the machines was fine, right? It, and at this point, we'll talk a little bit about this, but they had kind of hit this. They all kind of do the same sort of thing, right? It's got a safety system and a, a power supply and a robot, right? And they just mm-hmm. kind of did it. Um, but what separated people that really, really crushed it versus really, really struggled, you know, might have been just new carpet and a coat of paint, right? right. Like I, I remember walking into lobbies and if you can see the dirt tracks in the carpet, it's probably just time to redo it. Right. Um, doesn't mean your machines are bad, but you look around and you go, eh, I'm just not feeling it, right? Right. And I, I think, you know, again, little step. Oh, yeah, but for sure. huge quality impact out the door to what your perception is. Maybe It's not a hard quality, but a perception of quality, right? Right. Um, I think about car dealerships too, right? So when you walk in, if they're well lit, if everything's laid out really nice, it's great. If it's one of these older dealerships where it's like four different rooms kind of connected by some 
dark tile hallways. You're like, where am I going? What's back? Oh, this is where you're going to work on my stuff? What? (laughs) Right. What happened to that nice lighting up there, right? Right. So, you know. Yeah, because to your point, you know, quality and quality systems oftentimes are about doing things right. Doing things the right way every time, regardless of any environment, any any variation in a process, you know, you want to do things the right way every time, you know, and so if little things like dirt on the floor or, you know, you open the door and there's a candy wrapper sitting right in the middle of the carpet, it's like, well, that's not right, you know, so, so that little thing can be a sign of other things that come up later in the process to go, well, if you're not, you know, doing the very first step of a 5S in your lean manufacturing journey, for example, of of cleaning things up and figuring out the sort, are you really doing all those quality inspections? You know, are you really following through with uh, tool center point validation and, you know, all the things that matter to the process, right? Well, and I think too, I mean, deep down, it's just a human nature thing. I mean, isn't that how the uh, Walt Disney Company and, and Disneyland kind of changed the amusement park game, right? Was we're going to have somewhere that's clean and welcoming and friendly versus kind of that you know, legacy carny vibe, if you will, right? <laughs> right. Um, right. And I think that's, you know, seeing some of the documentaries, it seemed like that was kind of their their focus and, and what they prided themselves on early on to be a little bit different, a little bit cleaner. And mm-hmm. um, it, it's definitely gone that way in manufacturing too, so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take a 30-second break, and we'll be right back. And this episode is brought to you by, well, me. In the event you'd like to join the show as a guest or a sponsor, feel free to email us at automationadvocates at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and now let's get back to it. So talking about a lot of the, the manufacturing that's out there, again, I think about you know some of the paper mills now, super clean, right? They have to be, and it gets back to what hits the product, what hits the shelves, and when you open up a... When you open something up, you expect it to be perfect, right? As a consumer, we've we've now determined that perfection is what we expect every time, not, oh, that's kind of neat. Absolutely. Um, quality, color, fit, finish, the whole thing. Like, when I open it, it's got to be perfect. Right. Um, and it, it starts at the facility. It starts at the door. And... I think that carries on through the equipment too, right? And I, you know, we'll talk a little bit about equipment here, but you know, well-maintained, oiled, lubricated, calibrated, good machinery, man, it puts out a really, really superior product to ones that are just beat and sloppy and garbage, right? It just, right. when I think back to those old bridge ports, they were built solid, right? You could buy four other mills, you know, at a quarter of the price. But they fell apart. Right. Yeah, you know, in, in the equipment operating at a high level in its optimal state where it's going to create very little variation and great part quality, uh, the people that really know that are those operators that are working with it every day, right? They hear things. They see things. And, and really creating an environment or a culture inside that manufacturing facility um, helps foster that, that care, right, and that want to make things right so when they hear things that aren't right you know they're raising their hand going ah we, we need a maintenance technician to look at this or you know 
maybe it's a manufacturer. Hey, can you contact the machine tool guys? Something's not right with this, right? And I know that the industry is going in a, in a direction of not just preventative maintenance, but really a focus on predictive, right? Through all sorts of different automation and sensors and, you know, bearing life and all, all these really cool things, right? Um, and that's super cool, but, but there's always going to be, or at least for the next five to 10 years, there's a lot of equipment that doesn't have that. So that culture inside that building and, and creating an environment where those employees get to influence what happens and what's fixed and how much better can they get it to run, that, that's a huge part of the whole manufacturing plant and the business. Yeah, it's, you know, you mentioned some of that maintenance stuff, and I wonder as we start to collect the data, yes, as a machine provider, you're going to be able to influence that, but I think that may take some of the advantage or disadvantage as a, as a manufacturer like yourselves on, you know, how, how do we outperform the guys across the street or across the state or across the country? Because um, some of that is, man, we've got good operators that really care. Right. Um, you know, I know we hear a lot about turnover and workforce challenges, and, and that's a whole different topic we'll cover another time. But at some point, you got to have that intelligence, right? You can't, today anyway, it's unrealistic to be able to say, hey, I'm going to bring somebody in off the street and expect them to be an expert. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's not fair. It's not no. possible. No, you're going to have that as a portion of your workforce, but, you know, taking care of the employees that really have that knowledge, that intimate inner working between what separates company X versus company Y, you know? So not just an expertise inside their own four walls and inside their own company, but really the whole industry. Sure. That's what you're looking for, right? You know, who, who can separate, who are the employees that know that stuff, that know why we're better, you know, and how can we get better, you know, in the wave of automation and, and process improvement and process control, what are the things you want to go after? What automation makes you money? You know, and, and sometimes that can influence the products you're making, the market segments you're in. Um, so that, yeah, to your point, that knowledge is just vital. And I think, too, you know, Back to the quality piece, and, and I know you guys do a fair amount of laser and, and plasma and other, you know, I'm going to call it fiery cutting, right? Because there's <laughs> there's heat that's right. getting poured into this, and, and it's true in water jet too and some of the other methods. But at the end of the day, I mean, I remember seeing some of these welded parts come in, and the, the quality from your suppliers too was super critical, right? If you right. got oil and crud and dirt, like how those things came to you was just as important as what you did to it oh, yeah. during and after the fact too, right? So oh, I, for sure. I mean, I think even some of that angle of what you're expecting and getting, it leaves your, it leaves your four walls like you're talking about. And you, you have to look for that same sort of passion and care and where you're getting your stuff from. Um, I remember one time we were doing a project with fire hydrants. So we were doing uh, like an ink and L plating process where the valve seat would come down. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would get two different pallets from overseas. And the metallurgical properties of what was in the castings was different enough that you couldn't use the same weld parameters two times in a row. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you go, hmm, what do, what do I have here? What is this? Right. Um, and, and how do you out-quality that? Or how do you out-process? You can't, right? Now, all of a sudden, you've got, you mentioned, hey, what can you automate and what can you can't? Mm-hmm. 
you you can't when it's not repeatable, right? Like, right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we, you know, in some of the early stages of process improvement for me in, in metal fabrication uh, plants that I've worked in, some of those like really root cause analysis um, projects are extremely important for the long haul, right? So you talk about variation there, but I, I remember just the steel industry as a whole. Um, a quarter inch, you know, A36 mild steel sheet from supplier A to supplier B can be very different. And from heat lot to heat lot, it can be very different. So you've got significantly different yield strengths or, you know, ultimate tensile strengths between those two heats. And, you know, to your point earlier, you can't hire someone off the street and have them be the expert in knowledge like that um, right away. So, um, that's extremely important to align all the processes in the plant to, to know those things, that level of detail, so that, you know, if the tolerance is, call it plus or minus one millimeter, you know, that you don't have that variation. You want it to be less than that so that you can automate it. You know, if, if the quality from a department to department or from a supplier to a, to a different supplier is such that you know the repeatability is there and the automation can pick up on the small variation that you have you know everybody can make a lot more money and really be successful with that you know as opposed to the latter so i remember doing some early projects we were doing like uh i think there were brush guards for four-wheelers so it was bent tubing and I don't know if you know much about tube bending. Oh, yeah. Um, Lots of spring back variation. Spring there. back variation. It was pretty much the most non-repeatable process you could ever ask for. <laughs> right? And I remember we'd bolt these parts into these fixtures, and some of these tubes would butt up next to each other, and, uh, and they'd be perfectly flush. And the next set, you'd have a quarter-inch gap. <laughs> And the, and the yeah. customer's like, well, can't your robot see that gap? I'm like, <laughs> not right now. No, it can't. You know, now in right. 22, we, we have a shot at that, right? right. We, could do some, uh, we could do some vision systems and, and right. try to calibrate and make it better. But what did you sacrifice to get that? Like, it, it, just because mm. you can see it doesn't make it right. Like, it's right. still, ugh. Right, absolutely. Well, and some of those vision systems today are still reactive in nature. For right? sure. I mean, how do you change the process to accommodate for that? Right, now all of a sudden, instead of a single path, you've got, what, six passes to get uh, to get mm -hmm. the weld build up to try to build a joint? And is that a structurally sound joint you want? Like, now right. you've got to build in some intelligence and rules to say, yeah, I'm not so sure you actually want to fill this gap in. Right, right. But rather that's just identifying a defect. Well, Maybe. No, nobody's making money with defects. Right, right. right. So, yeah. I had a, uh, speaking of defects and just kind of that feeling aspect of it, you know, I, you've done time studies on machinery before and, and looked out at a line and, you know, my, my favorite words that people would say would be like, well, I feel like this should be running faster, or I feel right. like this could run better. And you're going, cool, what's your stopwatch tell you, right? right. And, in, oh, and yeah. in machine load unload, so for, for people that don't know what that is, think of a, a machine tool, so a vertical machining center, you know, a mill or a lathe uh, with a robot. And so the robot's going to open the door, put the part in, take the old part out, turn it back on. Super common application for robotics. We've been doing it a long, long time. But the key metric there to really worry about is what's your spindle on time on your machine tool? And if the answer is, you know, 
99.5% because it's cutting parts for, you know, 37 minutes and it took you eight seconds to swap it out. Even if you could invent a light speed robot, it doesn't matter what you feel, your stopwatch is going to tell you you've got nothing to gain. Right, absolutely. But I, I still, I hear that a lot. Like, man, I feel, I feel. Well, stop <laughs> feeling. <laughs> right. Let's look at right. this, you know, with some hard data. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think that quality thing and that scrap thing is another piece to that, right? Is, you know, we've all got, and, and well, I shouldn't say we've all, but people that have done this, you've seen go, no-go gauges, right? Did, it, did, the, did the pin fit in the hole? Or was it too loose? Um, you know, other other applications of that where it's like this is this is the min max, this is the tolerance. No, doesn't matter what you feel. This is fact. Right? Absolutely, like it's, it's either in or it's out. Right, and that's it. Right. Um, and the reason it is what it is is because somebody did the math, hopefully, um, and figured it out. But. I guess on the flip side of that, how many drawings have you seen where it's called out to the fourth decimal point and we all snicker and giggle and go, you're a cool story. Oh, absolutely. Rookie yeah. on the CAD machine, right? Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that that's pretty commonplace. And I think the metal fabrication industry, you know, and, and it's um, something that ties back, you know, all the things that we've talked about previously about, you know, having design engineers really know the process and know what what is that process capable of producing right because because if you're down in the fourth decimal we're talking about a manual operation like a part that's bent on a press break uh <laughs> good luck <laughs> right? anything bent ever right. can never go to the fourth decimal right i challenge you to a duel oh yeah absolutely <laughs> but we know that right but right. i mean it's not always commonly known you know so right so for those of us listening that don't have a lot of uh knowledge about that just trust us this time just, right. just this moment, just trust us. Right. This <laughs> but, one time, we are yeah. the experts. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, definitively, right? Yep. Um, but I think, too, you know, you, you highlighted it a little bit, and I, I want to talk just briefly for now, but, you know, workforce, right? So we hmm. see with COVID, with with these, you know, the, the, the baby boomer retirement, we see all these challenges, and I, I look at, man, I take my car in or I need a plumber to come out and do something in my bathroom. And the labor rates are skyrocketing for people that know how to use their hands. They are. And Absolutely. I look at the debate around, hey, we should raise the minimum wage. We should do all these things. And without getting into politics, do I believe that people should be treated fairly and, and well and be able to make a living? Sure. Do I think there's some skills that should go along with that to, to be able to earn that? Yes. Um, but mm-hmm. politics aside, manufacturing right now, not a bad place to be from a financial standpoint either, right? Oh, absolutely. There, there is so much demand right now for, um, you know, in the past we would call them skilled trades, right? That was a term that would get thrown out there. And sometimes you would put a welder or a machinist in that but really i think even that's gone away that that term that terminology and at least in terms of the demand the demand is there in all forms uh, of manufacturing whether it be you know completely entry level um and not necessarily young people but people making career changes too right um there there is a really good living to be earned right now um and I use that word instead of made or, or given or whatever, but sure, earned sure. is really important because, um, you know, kind of the basics of showing up to work and being able to learn, 
you know, th those are the things that are important. You know, when we've talked m most of um, the afternoon here about, you know, advancements in technology and all these machines that keep coming out and r robotics and automation, well, it's really hard for anyone new to the industry to know those things. Mm -hmm. So you've, you're looking for people that have, um, you know, this mechanical aptitude and want to learn and they want to be there every day. Um, and they want to be part of something bigger, you know. Um, a lot of candidates that, that we look for want to advance their career as well, you know. Um, going back to school and getting more education. Those are, you know, I guess you could say ideal employees for manufacturing, folks that want to continuously change with how manufacturing has changed. And I envision always will change because, um, it's definitely a, a career path that you got to get used to change, you know, for all the right reasons. When I think about just the, the 20 years we've been doing this, right, and I think back to some of the early equipment that I worked on to what we've got now, and I go, holy cow, right? Like, we're, we're nowhere close to where we were. We're, we're way down the path here. Right. Um, things, are, things are better but you still have to have that fundamental understanding um, back to what you kind of talked about, you know, things like chip load when you were talking about schooling, right? And, you know, do you run a four flute or a two flute on a mill or you, you know, what's your feed rate? You know, I, I know when we look at water jet cutting, we have something called tail drag, right? So how much, you know, behind the, the cutting head is the exit hole on the other side of the material, right? There's, there's a lot of that that, yeah, we're going to build some intelligence around it. But we've we've got a long ways to go. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome someday, right? Right. You're just Absolutely. gonna, yep. you know. And, and I think about additive too, right? Which has changed a whole lot of stuff. You know, 20 years ago, metal additive was super uncommon, right? I remember mm -hmm. working on aerospace parts that were, you know, you get a billet that was the size of a table, and they just start hogging material out, just <laughs> brrr, <laughs> chips and coolant flying everywhere. And I'm like, this is so cool. And now they start with a blank sheet and they kind of build up the substrate for some of those parts. And then mm -hmm. they do finish machining on it. And I go, well, that's really innovative. Right. Wasn't here 20 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. I think about some of the, the tooling and the end effectors and those things that we, you know, think about the, so those of you that don't know, a tool room used to have a, I don't know, anywhere between one and a dozen people with manual machines that just built tools. And now those tool rooms are all CNC. You could again eat off the floor, granite metrology tables, right? You're, you, the, the the game is changing. Oh, absolutely. Um, have you uh, on YouTube? Have you seen these titans of CNC? By the way, I have not seen that. Check it out. It's some guys that used to have a shop in California. I think they moved to Texas, but they're always doing crazy like hogging through ink and L, and they've got these big three inch cutters made out of ceramics and. It's super cool, and they're they're trying to bring some intelligence and, and you know education to the, the industry. Um, super wild. Uh, check it out when you're bored. Very cool. This is what nerds do when we're <laughs> not talking to each other. We, we never stop learning. Right, right. You know. But it is it is cool, right? And oh, uh, absolutely. I, I I got my first 3D printer at home eight years ago now. I think ten years ago. And just dumb stuff, right? But I you know, buddy broke a gear on his little popcorn machine. Brings it over. He's like, hey, can you make this? Yeah. So I just measured it up with my calipers and drew it in Inventor and hit print. Right. You know, how would we have made that 20 years ago? 
don't know. Do you yeah. know anybody that's got a five-axis lathe <laughs> mill combo thing in their garage? Nope. Right. We're not making it. Right. right. Order it. Pay whatever it is. Lead times, right? Oh, man. Yeah. Buy a new machine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I think, but, but that's fun too, right? And it's changed. You know, you look at like medical device stuff, all the clean room things and this, the... It's constantly evolving. It's constantly getting cleaner and more precise and faster and flexible. And It is. I, it's like one giant episode of how it's made, and I don't know that I've ever been bored. Right. Well, and that's the thing. You know, I mean, you know, especially for us, and, and you're probably hearing it come out here this afternoon. I mean, we have fun in manufacturing, right? We're, we're always having fun. We're always doing something different. How can it be faster, better, stronger? Oh, more efficient, all those things, right? And I, I think that's that's the takeaway for me in manufacturing is I get to just be me every day, all day, you know? And, and parts of my job managing the plant are to teach others about that in the people component, you know, of um, what are we looking for in an employee and how can we continuously improve our training, you know, in the education piece of, of what we do and, and, um, and push others to, to always be creating better widgets for lack of better term right that's the fun thing about manufacturing so it's in it's in your blood i think to some degree you know i had a had a guy one time that you know he's like the reason i hired you is because you're a tinkerer right and i think that's that's kind of what it comes back to um you know speaking about training and, and education have you taken the leap in any of the augmented reality work instructions, training, what what does that look like for you guys as a, as a metal shop? Yeah, so right now um, we're going through a transformation, a neat one where we're taking our work instructions or really our, our process documentation from a 2D state, whether it be a, a screenshot out of a 3D software where we've documented on, on pr something pretty basic, just an Excel sheet where we've got notes and all that sort of thing. And we're working on creating it in, um, in uh, not augmented reality yet, but um, kind of an intermediate step where we're gonna focus on 3D models and putting animation to those 3D models um, and doing the education piece that way. Um, you know, there's a couple partners that we're working with now to integrate the machine control with that. Um, one, one of the real-world examples of that that we've been doing for some time is working with um, Bistronic on a press break. Sure. Where you can see the 3D model, each bend that you're making, it shows up on the machine control. So if I've got a, a new employee or an experienced one that hasn't run this part for a long time, they can hold that part in their hand and orient it the same exact way as that 3D model is on the screen. Shows them what bend we're making, where the tooling needs to be placed. Um, so as they're as they're forming the part, it steps you through. Um, so that's an example that we've been doing for some time, and we're working on creating that same visual in a 3D state in other processes in the plant. And and I think that's I mean that that hits the that hits the. I guess the label, right? I mean, I know everyone wants to talk about, you know, wearing hollow lenses and doing all this crazy stuff, but I think, you know, it doesn't have to be on your face, right? Uh, but that relevance, and I think maybe that's that's the word I like the most about it is the the location relevance. So if your if your screen is at the front of your machine 
and for you know a press break it is right because right. it's a kind of a one-sided machine right um it's perfect yeah you don't need because you're never going to go on the back side of it there's no reason to be behind that machine right correct um versus like a you know a packaging machine maybe you're on both sides of it and you're loading and unloading and doing maintenance okay well maybe then it makes sense to have it on a handheld or on a headset um right. But I think that's that's perfect, right? And it's the it's a good step forward, and I think it it helps with the quality angle too. Again, oh, absolutely, because uh, now there's no guesswork, there's no memory, and you know, as a kid, my parents used to call me short-term memory because uh, <laughs> after about thirty seconds, everything fell out the back. So for guys <laughs> like me, it's perfect, right? Right. Um, but I think it's a great it's a great way to go forward, and and however you do it, it's it's cool to see that advancement versus tribal knowledge, right? I mean. Right. We grew up with that, where it was like, you don't know how to do this. Right. You can't just translate this spreadsheet into a setup on a machine. Sure can't. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. No chance. Right? right. And doubly if you're new. So right. I think that's a big step forward. Oh, absolutely. You know, and then I think every manufacturing plant, to your point, at some point had had this stigma like, you know, well, I'm, a, I'm a senior employee. I'm not going to share any of my knowledge. I'm going to keep all the tribal knowledge in my mind because, you know, that creates value. I, I'm creating and value security, and security right? in my yep. role, you know, and, and I think that's just a really old school way of looking at it. And, and then much newer school way is for an employee that has that knowledge and that expertise to say, hey, I'm going to share it with, with this employee X so that I can take the next step in my career. I can move on to the next big project in this department. And because I'm kind of the leader now and I've got this knowledge, I need to make sure someone else can do that so that I can be part of that next wave and in the next phase of change. That, that to me is important that folks take that approach. Or even just take a week of vacation, right? I mean... Yeah, that too. I, <laughs> yeah. Can you take a week off? No, because the phone might ring because no one else knows how to do what I do. Right. That's a problem. And how common that is. I mean, so it's, common. Yeah, it's there it was. Exists. I mean, it's still yeah. a big problem. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's funny you mentioned do what's next. I've been, I, I like to tell people I've been working myself out of a job for 20 years straight. <laughs> right? Like, what can I, what can I teach other people to do? What can I promote? What can I proliferate? So I don't have to be the only person. And, and when you're a machine builder, um, which is where I spent half my career so far. Um, super important because if you're the only person, that means when the pager goes off, pagers, phones now, right. at uh, two in the morning, you're the only person it's going to. Right. Right? Like, oh, hey, hey, the one guy, can you go fix this thing? Right. No, I'm on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how many Fortune 100 end users accept that as a real answer. Right? Oh, absolutely. Like, so I, I think it is a mindset and an approach thing. Um, and and I, I hope everyone kind of takes that to heart, right? Like right. teach what you know, and the more we know, and this is the thing I, you know, listening to the Titans talk about this, right? Like the more our entire industry knows, the more we all elevate the whole thing. Yep. And the better we all are, the better we can compete against Southeast Asia or Europe or wherever else, right? Because at the end of the day, yeah, you're competing with the guy next door. Really, we're competing at the macro level against other economies that are playing by a different game, right? I mean, just think yeah. about the, the labor pools and everything else. And 
having been to other parts of the world where things like OSHA may or may not actually exist or be, you know, oh, absolutely. have any sort of safety regulations, it's, it's wild. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, lots of thoughts coming to my mind there as you mentioned that. I just got back from a trip in Europe um, focusing on automation and, and press breaks and um, the things that we're doing from a safety standpoint to protect our employees here are like, you know, the, I feel like they're 30 years behind us over there. You know, I'm, I'm seeing machines where light guards were removed. I'm seeing guys take a break where they've got their hands resting on a piece of tooling. Oh, in the no. middle of Yeah, in the middle of the working tooling on a press break. Guys set his hand there and he's talking to me on his break. And I'm like, excuse me, sir, can you take your hand out of there? You know, so yeah, to your point, you know, manufacturing is more global now than it ever has been. And that's going to continue to be the case. So the better we can work together now, improve everyone in, in our region, in our country, um, the better we'll compete at that global level and, and really kind of elevate. So that's an interesting topic. You, you say, you know, it's, it's more global than it was before or that it ever has been. Um, Charlie and Sarah and I had this chat a while back around, you know, COVID and the supply chain changes do you see with what you guys are doing some of the reshoring and kind of the scramble to come back and go, man, maybe we shouldn't have put all our eggs on those shipping crates moving to and from overseas? Oh, yeah, we're, we're seeing that all the time. You know, um, metal manufacturers like us are, are really busy right now, right? But we are constantly being pushed to take on more and take on more. And, and, and in some cases... Uh, Fortune 50 companies, you know, agriculture and construction equipment, they're looking for short term. They're, they're going, okay, we know you're busy. We only need capacity for two months. We can't get these parts. They're stuck on a shipping crate in the, in the middle of the ocean. We have to sell these units, and we only need this many. Can't, can't we please? We'll, we'll pay a premium. We'll do what we have to do. You know, we know your quality is going to be great. And, you know, so... That happens constantly. Um, we're being forced to have to manage our customers in that regard because we don't want to sign up for something that we can't produce and then kind of hurt all of our customers at the same time equally, right? Well, it's hard to ramp up for a two-month. I mean, when you yeah. think about the assets that go into this and the people, like you don't just buy an automated press break and it shows up next week, right? Right. These things right. have three to 30-month lead times, depending. I mean, right. 30 might be extreme, but... You're not getting in this month. They don't. Right. It's not happening. Exactly. Yeah. So those examples I just talked about are are, are ones that we're not pursuing. We're not super interested in, and, and those right. customers I think are thinking way too short term. But other customers are really looking long term. Going, yeah, we we want to partner with you. Um, we've been making this part in, in a different part of the world for X amount of time, and and still today we hear constantly that quality issues are are much more prevalent. Um, out of the United States, you know, yep. it doesn't matter where they're made, and and um, and I'm, you know, it's not a knock on any one of those countries, um, because there's a lot of supply chain issues that go into that too. So, you know, if there is a quality issue, if it is discovered, and you've got a ship full or a huge <laughs> crate, you can't full, close that loop very quick, can yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, inherently, again, it's not it's not a knock per se on any one of these countries, but rather it's a how did you design the whole logistical system and, and what does the supply chain look like? How much inventory is in there? How fast can you respond to maybe a tooling defect? 
especially if it's a hard tooling defect and now there's tens of thousands potentially of parts affected by that, right? So so there's a lot of reasons, not just the COVID and um, you know plant closures that are associated with it and all that sort of thing, but really just kind of reevaluating the whole supply chain. And then the other thing that I really see right now in, in our industry is um, a much deeper look at cash flow and really taking a much more serious approach with kind of some of those older school lean manufacturing techniques where um, supply chain is changing constantly, right? So it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you know, there's, there's demand, the demand outweighs a lot of the supply right now. But if the supplier has, or the manufacturer has demand for 10,000 units and there's a switch or a piece of electrical component, or maybe it's a tire on a car, whatever it is that they can't get, sends these like shock waves back through the supply chain where you you were super late one day and now all that demand's all pushed out three months you know so the volatility in the marketplace is higher than i've ever seen it too so um certainly strange times that we're living through no question sure. but they really away kind of raise your awareness of how are you managing the business sure and, and where do you want your cash to be tied up it, it's really interesting, and I think what I'm, I'll take it back to where we started, right? It doesn't seem like making things is going away anytime soon, right? Oh, absolutely not. Um, and, and we're going to continue to do our best to attract that new talent, and we're going to, you know, it just, it keeps getting better, right? I mean, that's, absolutely. yeah. Super exciting times to be in manufacturing, for sure. That's for sure. Well, that kind of brings us uh, full circle to the end here again. Um, as always, thank you for uh, for joining. Um, oh, my pleasure. Really enjoy to, these. Yeah. Anything else uh, you want to part with before we send her off? Well, just just strongly encourage the uh, the involvement in manufacturing. And if if you're considering a career change, or maybe you're bored doing whatever you're you know you're doing now, take it a take it really uh, serious to look at manufacturing as a career and and ask a lot of questions. Lots of folks are in it, right? So. That information's free. Soak it all up and have a good one. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Bye. And that's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed your time with us, please like and subscribe. Keep the letters coming to automationadvocates at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. The opinions in this show are ours and not representative of our employers. While normally polished, occasionally we might slide off the rails and into the ditch. Forgive us for that one.